I'm Warren Smith, and I'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. You know, here at Ministry Watch, we bring you news about Christian ministries, as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy, news that we examine from a Christian worldview perspective. Our goal is to help us become better stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us. These midweek extra episodes are a chance for us to go deep, you might say, on a particular topic, and today I'm pleased to have Del Tackett on the program. Dr. Del Tackett served more than 20 years as an officer in the United States Air Force. As a top executive at Focus on the Family, he created the Truth Project, a worldview program that has been seen by more than 20 million people in more than 100 countries. Many people say the Truth Project was their first exposure to a Christian worldview. I wanted to have Dell on the program because he's had 50 years of experience in leadership roles, with at least 30 of them prominently in the public eye, including a stint as Senior Vice President of Focus on the Family, one of the nation's largest Christian ministries. With all of the scandals that we've seen recently, I wanted to ask one of the wise men of the evangelical movement to get his perspective on why and how these scandals keep recurring and, more importantly, how we can keep them from happening in the future. But we began our conversation talking about Dell's latest endeavor. It's called the Engagement Project, which in some ways picks up where the Truth Project left off. Well, Dale, welcome to the program. It's great to chat with you again. You and I have known each other for a good long while. In fact, I think, I was trying to think about this the other day, the first time I ever met you face-to-face, you were in Charlotte, my hometown, for the Truth Project. I believe you were at Calvary Church, which is down on the south side of town. I think there might have been 2,000 people uh, showing up for that event, and you generously, um, I was running a local Christian newspaper at the time, and you generously sat with me backstage for an interview, and I don't know, that must have been 20 or 25 years ago. Uh, you probably don't even remember that, but uh, but I do, and um, it was a, a blessing to be able to see you then and a blessing to see you now. Well, uh, thank you, Warren. I do remember it because that was the very first uh, training conference we did for the Truth Project. Uh, we did that there at Charlotte at that Calvary Church, that huge church. Yeah, it's and, a huge uh, church. I remember thinking, you know, who's going to show up? for this. You know, we don't have a big band and nobody knows me. Uh, and there were a lot of people there. Yeah. Um, so God began to bless right, right from the beginning. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I, I, I pulled the number 2000 out of the air. I don't know, honestly, <laughs> you should fact check me. I don't know whether that's right, but you're right. It was a huge number of people. And I, and I think that the truth project was, uh, you know, it was, um, kind of a phenomenon, um, for a while. And, um, you know, it was a real touchstone for people. I think a lot of people, you know, I, uh, after I, you know, did um, what I did in Charlotte with that Christian newspaper, I've gone on to do many other things in um, the Christian world, including work at the Colson Center for Christian Worldview. And I think uh, a lot of people will say that their first exposure to Christian worldview, what it means, uh, what it implies for the way we should live in the world and behave in the world and and engage the culture, um, 
that they came to those ideas or that understanding as a result of you, Dale, and the Truth Project? Well, that, I mean, I appreciate you saying that. Uh, I never imagined that God was going to put his hands on it the way he did. Uh, but uh, some people have estimated over 20 million people have been through it in over 130 countries. Well, that's not because of me. <laughs> I can tell you that. Right. Uh, it's because God just put his hands upon it and blessed it. And the most important thing to me, not the numbers, the important thing to me is, is what you're referring to. And that is that uh, people were changed, that uh, God began to open our eyes to the a biblical worldview that God has spoken in every area of life. That was, that was my objective, and that's what still throws me. God is still using it. I still hear from people all over who are going through the Truth Project. So that work is still not done. No, that's exactly right. But though that work is not done, or I should say, and <laughs> rather than but, uh, that, though that work is not done, uh, you you engage you're engaged in a new work now, the engagement project. Tell me about the engagement project. What is it, and uh, is it an extension of the Truth Project, or is it um, something else? Well, it, I will. I would rather say it this way, and that is uh, because I've done a lot of worldview. Uh, things. Even the East Genesis history was part of uh, laying down a, a solid biblical worldview. The TV show I did, Cross-Examine, it was for that same purpose. But the engagement project is what I would say is the next step. In other words, now that we have a biblical worldview, so what? What do we do with that? Uh, do we just uh, sit and and think, wow, I, I feel really good now because I have a biblical worldview? Or does that biblical worldview call us to engage uh, the world around us? And so that's the heart of the Engagement Project. We're, we're going to gaze upon the character of God uh, because all truth emanates uh, from his nature, his character. So we're going to pursue what I, I call the crown jewel in the nature of God. Mm-hmm. And uh, that then will lead us to understand the his call for us, for the common Christian family, to be engaged with those uh, who live around them. And uh, so that's what we're trying to do with the Engagement Project, is to, to see the body of Christ become the light and salt that they were meant to be. Well, what does the Engagement Project look like? Um, you know, I, I know um, to a certain extent, you know, what the Truth Project looked like. It was, uh, you know, there were a series of videos, there were study guides. Often it was it was encountered or engaged in small groups, uh, life groups at churches and so on. Is that the same idea for the Engagement Project? It is, Warren. It's uh, 10 tours, as I, as I call it, uh, and they are created for um, the small group that gathers in a home. Uh, led by people who are committed to pray for each of those people. And that's why we're doing uh, small group training conferences. Uh, We don't sell the engagement project on the open market, just as in the beginning, we didn't sell the truth project uh, on the open market because I wanted it done in small groups and I wanted it led by people who are committed to pray. uh, And we were praying and hoping it would multiply as a result of that. So we're following the same strategy. With the engagement project, uh, with uh, ten tours, each video is uh, about an hour, uh, and then uh, we're praying that people have really rich discussions after each video. 
Well, what's different today, uh, you know, about launching a project like this in, you know, 2021, as opposed to launching the Truth Project in 1990X, whatever year it was. I don't even remember when, when the Truth Project was. But, I mean, it's 30 years later. I mean, the Internet um, exists. Uh, as I'm fond of saying, um, in, you know, the 1980s and early 90s, the Internet was merely a gleam in Al Gore's eye at that time. And now, of how Gore, of course, famously claimed to uh, invent the internet, um, but now it's real, real different. Not only is uh, the uh, is the delivery mechanism for these kinds of uh, programs very, very different, but but you know, I know there's nothing new under the sun. I know that human nature has not changed, but we've seen some real cultural upheavals in the last twenty five or thirty years. Well, we certainly have. Uh, I mean, the Truth Project was done 15 years ago, but even then, uh, a lot has changed in our, our culture in those 15 years. Uh, however, the Word of God doesn't change, and the Word of God is still relevant. Uh, the Word of God is relevant in the, in the, in the days of the Roman Empire. Uh, it's relevant in our day-to-day, and it'll be relevant a thousand years from now if we're still here. Uh, but, the, but the question is good, and, and the Contemplating that is good because we need to understand how we do engage the the culture around us. Um, I still believe that God desires for his people to come together and to gather together in small groups. And so we will persist uh, in encouraging people to to do it that way. The the thing, if you talk about the difference between when we launched the Truth Project, of course, I launched that through Focus on the Family. Focus on the Family was the publisher. And of course, they had a huge reach. Uh, and now we don't have that kind of reach, but we're still committed to the small group. And so it doesn't really matter if we start with a small number of people. If it multiplies, uh, then it will eventually uh, multiply as far as God wants it to go. The other thing, Warren, of course, is this, this whole uh, virus issue and, and everything that has happened. Uh, that is attempting to, um, well, I say it's not attempting to, but what the consequences of that is that people are increasingly isolated as, as a result of it. And so having people in your home has proved initially to be a little bit of an issue. Um, but um, now people are, are per- persevering in that. And, uh, and we're really hearing some wonderful things that God is doing. It seems to me that God's going to put his hands on this, too. Mm. Well, I pray that that would be the case. Um, you know, I know one of the, uh, how shall I say it, issues, ideas that is very close to your heart is, um, you know, the idea of evangelism and of, you know, uh, that, that you, you we don't engage the truth project or we don't engage the engagement project merely for the sake of the holy huddle, that, um, you know, merely for the sake of making us smarter. It is... Um, you know, it is for the purpose of of having a positive impact in the world, for the life of the world, and for the life of our, you know, as a way to love our neighbors. And I do wonder, Dell, um, what might be different about that as well um, to a, to the non Christian. Um, how are they hearing the gospel? How are they receiving um, Christians? How are they uh, receiving? The message of the gospel from Christians uh, uh, today, as opposed to fifteen or twenty years ago. Well, that's a great question, and it's one that I've been pondering a lot 
uh, because I, I believe that we are supposed to have that uh, wisdom, that banah uh, that, that we see in the signs of Issachar, to understand the times in which we live so that we might know what uh, we, the people of God, are supposed to do. And, uh, you know, I, I'm going to say something here that, that may not be, maybe more my opinion, but I'm, I'm going to offer it. And that is that in, Re- in Romans 1, we see a progression when a people uh, turn away from God, when they reject the truth of God, uh, then Paul's writing, as the Spirit of God is moving him to write, this is that God's wrath will come down upon those people. And it appears as if there's almost a progression of that. And the first is that he, he turns them over, he gives them over to sexual impurity. And that is impurity within the male-female uh, form. Uh, and then if they persist in that, they're given over to shameful lusts. Um, which goes outside of those bounds. But the third one, and this is what intrigues me, is that God gives them over to a depraved mind. And uh, I've traveled to uh, meet with some of my, <laughs> my dear friends who are, uh, who are Greek experts and talk about this word, uh, adokimon, uh, unqualified, uh, that is translated depraved mind. And it, as near as we can tell, it it really means that it's a mind that's no longer qualified, a mind that does not uh, understand logic. God gave us a logical mind. That is the qualified mind. It can reason. It can reason well. It understands truth. It can, it's logical. And so when God says, come, let us reason together. Uh, and so what if, and it appears to me, and just my experience as I look around the culture today, is we increasingly possibly are being given over to a depraved mind, they increasingly are dealing with a culture and a people who no longer deal with a rational mind or from a rational mind, from a logical perspective. And so they do things that we look at and say, that's crazy. It's irrational. Um well, think about this. For many, many years, our Christian apologetics, rightfully so, was built upon a logical platform, a logical basis. But our, our evangelism was based upon the assumption that we're going to be dealing with someone who has a logical mind, a rational mind. What do we do in a culture when people no longer have that kind of rationality, and you throw in the midst of that, that we now live in a culture that believes it's all about me, and if, if it's all about me, then I know you think it's all about you, and so we have a culture where everybody is manipulating everyone uh, to enhance their script, and I know this because when I, when I taught uh, your university students, we talked about this, they nod their head. Why? Because they think everyone's a salesman. Right. And so here we have a culture now, all of a sudden, that in our, in our old approach, or we would say it's a, the, the modern Christian approach, which is behind us now, uh, we would approach people with the logic of the gospel, and people would hear that. Why? Because they had a logical mind, and we had a common worldview at that time. But now we're approaching people in a culture that is totally divided by worldview, in a culture where people are skeptical because they think everybody has an agenda, uh, and thirdly, possibly because they have an irrational mind. And so we've got to say, how do we deal in a world like that? And I think we're back to that deep relationship. 
Well, I, first of all, Dell, let me just say that I think what you said just makes abundant sense to me. I mean, it really strikes me as a wise diagnosis of kind of where we are right now. Whenever, whenever you know, people are willing to deny biological realities when it comes to sexuality, when they are willing to, you know, enable to make up words or use words in ways that bear no relationship to the way those words have historically been used. And, um, it's um, yeah, I, I would say that that sort of that breakdown of of a, of of a fundamental understanding of what reality is really is where where we are right now. But okay, so given all of that, how now shall we live? I mean, you 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 said that that if we can no longer rely on facts, history, logic, data, reason to engage the culture in the ways that we have in the past, and that the you you mentioned i think relationships as the as sort of the end run around around those that misunderstanding or that lack of a common worldview um what do you mean by that what do you mean by relationships that we have to have relationships with our neighbors is that why you are creating the engagement project to if you will, force, or maybe a better way to say it would be to allow people to come into relationship one with another? Right. I think this is several things here. Number one, I would say this is exactly what we need in the times in which we live. But I would say this is exactly what the Lord called us to do. Uh, for the first two, 300 years, this is how the church spread. It spread because people believe that Jesus said, I want you to love your neighbor. And, and Paul said that everything is summed up in this, love your neighbor. And so they believe that. Um, well, then we got off. And, uh, and, and so we now have to call ourselves back uh, to the vision. And I think it's the right vision. It's the vision for what we need today. And that is that God has truly entrusted the primary work of the kingdom to the small, to the common Christian family. And their Jerusalem, the people who live around them in their neighborhood, are the people that God is calling them as a family to build a deep relationship, a trusting relationship. And it's in that relationship, it's in that trusting relationship that people now, and, oh, and in the context of deep prayer, diligent uh, prayer for those people, that God is going to begin to work, and you will then uh, begin to speak in a way that they don't they they don't think you're you have an agenda now. Why? Because you've shown that, and that's why it's a trusted relationship, and you can now begin to answer their questions. Um, so I think this is the only pathway forward. That doesn't mean that God can't work the way He has, but I think it's going to be increasingly a deeper and deeper minority of time. Yeah. Uh, and so that's why I'm passionate uh, about this, to see the common Christian family, the plumber and his family, the, the nurse and her family, uh, now seeing God work, not hearing about it, not just going to hear a sermon, but realizing they're uh, entrusted with the primary work of the kingdom. Yeah. Well, Dell, obviously, uh, that sounds like a beautiful vision, and I pray that it comes uh, fully uh, to fruition. And so God bless you with the engagement project. Uh, if, you, if you'll allow me, though, I'd like to maybe transition away from us, um, the engagement project, but still, I, I hope, 
uh, holding a tight grip on some of the ideas that we were talking about and ask your thoughts about maybe a larger issue. Um, You know, when I get a chance to talk to someone like you, you've been in ministry a long time. Before you were in ministry, you spent 20 years in the Air Force and you had leadership roles there. Um, You know, altogether, I don't want to embarrass you (laughs) or myself, (laughs) but... uh, but, you know, altogether, you're talking about a half century, maybe, 50 years of, of, of engagement in leadership, uh, in organizations of various kinds. And I would be foolish not to maybe ask you a few questions about that right now, because since I've got you, especially in this context, um, the context of scandal and fraud that we have seen in the church. We've seen so many of our Christian leaders in the last few years, but I would argue that we're just knowing about it now, that 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 it's probably been going on all along. Um, but we're certainly seeing it now that um, competence and giftedness will allow people to rise in ministry, but then character issues usually, if they're not dealt with, if they're if the if the character is not growing while their platform is growing, will usually result in uh, a crash, a fall, a scandal at, at some point down the road. So, I get, if what I'm saying is even remotely true, Dale, I just would like your thoughts about it. How do we how do we keep that from happening? How have you personally remained scandal free in 50 years of leadership roles? What do you see um, that you could share with us that might have a few years, you know, still ahead of us on on this path and want to end well uh, ourselves? Well, I, there are a lot of things that gets stirred up in my mind uh, when we talk about this. The first probably is grief uh, of, you know, over what we see happening. Uh, I'm not sure that we would say, well, it it was happening that much uh, before. Uh, I just think we live in a culture where, you know, everything, uh, all of the, all of the doors that allow us to slip are are right in front of us. and in addition, the, the other thing that comes to my mind is, is humility and how important humility is in the character of an individual. I'm not trying to boast at all here. I just tell people, I say, you know, humility is basically logic. Humility is just basically a rational understanding of who God is and who you are. And if you keep those things in mind, uh, then um, you don't begin, you don't begin to think that you're privilege. You don't begin to think that you have the right uh, to things that are not yours. Uh, And the other thing that happens is in, I'll say this with the kindness I can, when we build big organizations, the, the bigger the organization comes, the more the guy at the top or the gal at the top um, becomes revered and they begin to think they're revered. And when they become revered, then, you know, power corrupts uh, and it has a tendency to move us in that direction. Uh, That's why when we created the Truth and Counter Ministries, you know, that we consist of a board, you know, three, three Air Force uh, retired guys or friends of mine, they are the board. We don't have any employees. I don't want to build a huge organization. Uh, And they're, they're, there have been some wonderful things happen through large organizations. I'm not dissing that. 
But what I'm saying is that there is a caution associated with that. When a pastor has a huge church and constantly people are praising him uh, and there's lots of money involved and and all kinds of things, and there are just more open doors uh, for this. The, the, The third thing that comes on mind is isolation. And when we begin the the, the higher up you get, I've talked to many, many CEOs and a CEO of a large corporation will tell you that he's never been in a more lonely position. Uh, I've talked to senior pastors uh, and they are lonely. Why? I think it's because of pride uh, for one thing, but they think that they are not able to share uh, with someone uh, some of the things they're wrestling with. Uh, well, that that's a denial of what God has called us to. And that's why, you know, back to the engagement project, we're calling, one of the things we're calling people to do is to make sure they're in a small life group, a group where you can pray for one another, confess your faults to one another. You can't do that if you're isolated. If you're at the top of the pier here and uh, you're afraid or people don't want you to admit your weaknesses, then you become even more vulnerable. Uh, to that, you know, so the, you know, the fallen nature hasn't changed. The fallen nature hasn't gotten worse. Uh, it's just that um, we open ourselves up uh, in in a world that is increasingly uh, uh, more tempting to us, and yeah. the and the doors. There are many, many more doors <laughs> than there there used to be before, and so um, you know, my counsel to men. Uh, it would be to women too. I don't normally do that with women, but my counsel to them is you must have around you a small group of men that you can confess your faults to so that you can cut whatever whatever the uh, tragedy is going to be, uh, whatever the scandal is going to be, cut it off back here early on when you confess uh, to someone, maybe what's happening to you or things are happening. Get that wisdom of that small group and the prayers of that small group. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's, I, first of all, let me just say I completely agree with that. I've interviewed a lot of um, ministry leaders and, you know, the role that I have now, of course, and uh, we cover a lot of these uh, scams and scandals. And, and I got to tell you that it's amazing to me that, you know, how often we will hear. We heard it with Ravi Zacharias, um, for example. He just, he, you know, he b- blamed his isolation, his loneliness, the pressure and stresses of the job on some of the behaviors that he ended up, you know, being engaged in. And I've seen that uh, over and over again. It, it's um, I, I, the, the thing, Dale, that um, I two, two things I would um want to say about that and ask for your response. I had a friend, um, Michael Card, Mike Card, who is the Christian musician and singer. Uh, I, I was, I was um, interviewing him for this, for this program a couple of years ago. And he said, Warren, everybody needs a two o'clock in the morning friend. And I said, what's a two o'clock in the morning friend? And he said, a two o'clock in the morning friend is somebody that you can call at two o'clock in the morning. You feel safe and comfortable calling at two o'clock in the morning if you need them. And not only that, they're honored that you called them, that they are honored that that they are the person that you chose to call. And, you know, a lot of people don't have two o'clock in the morning friends, do they? 
No, uh, they don't. Uh, uh, let me give you an example of, of our life for just briefly for a little over 20 years. There are five couples that we made a commitment to each other over 20 years ago that we were going to carry out what the Lord had called us to do. And that is to love one another as I have loved you. Well, if Jesus told the disciples, you love each other as I have loved you, that doesn't mean say, hey, on Sunday, you know, they, they lived life together. They were close. And, uh, and they could, you know, they could wake Jesus up at 2 a.m. I don't doubt that they could have. But Jesus would have woken them up at 2 a.m. Uh, he did, remember, in the garden. <laughs> yep, yep. He woke the guys up and kept falling asleep. And so I think it's I think it's a great picture uh, that you've painted there because I can guarantee you that there are four guys uh, in in uh, this group the four other guys I could call them at two a.m. I could call them at three a.m. I could call at any time I want. They could call me, and that would exactly be the response. Man, what's up? What? Can, how can I help you? Can I come over? Uh, and and I have that, and I'm thankful for that. Deeply thankful for that. Uh, but you are exactly right, because that for all the reasons we mentioned before, people don't want to have that kind of close accountability, hmm. and, uh, and they need it. So I'm doing everything again to encourage people uh, to do that, because Satan's number one scheme, as we talk about this in the engagement board, Satan's number one scheme is to isolate us and destroy relationships. That's his number one scheme, because if he can do that, he can destroy our fruit. Look at what has happened to, to people and the fruit from, of their life that's been destroyed as a result of wrong relationships that started because they didn't have uh, deep fellowship with a small yeah. group of people. Yeah. Well, which is one of the reasons just to come full circle here, Dale, I'm really excited for you in your engagement project because you're doing just that or you're encouraging just that. You're encouraging people to engage, to engage in small groups, to engage in that kind of, you know, regular personal interaction that leads to um, being knowing and being known by others. And uh, um, not to mention what they might actually learn as a result of the of the uh, content itself. So God bless you in that. Thanks for being on the program today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Warren. It's been uh, my blessing. Pray the Lord's going to bless what you're doing as well. Thank you. You've been listening to my conversation with Dell Tackett. To learn more about him and his work, you can go to DellTackett.com. That's Dell with one L, Tackett with two T's at the end. A quick reminder that my book, Faith-Based Fraud, is now on sale to the public. We have hardback, paperback, ebook, and audiobook versions available. You can find them by going to Amazon or other online book retailers. And I hope you'll get a copy today. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosel and Steve Gandy. We get database and other support from Kathy Goddard, Stephen DeBerry, and Casey Suddeth. Thanks to my friends and former colleagues at the Colson Center for Christian Worldview, who provided studio space in Colorado Springs for Dell Tackett to record this interview. I'm Warren Smith, and until next time, may God bless you.